Hey guys, welcome to another football podcast where, just like any other podcast, we talk about Liga Mekis, Mexicans Abroad, and in three in English, of course. Um, I am Cari Torres, and with me is Tom Harrison. Hello, Tom. Hey, Cari. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Very well. So, we're going to talk about, what, football, right? Because this is another football podcast where we just talk about football. Um, so let's just, just dig right into it. Um, Tom, well, let's start off with you and your experience. Your first fabulous experience in Mexico and your first Liga Mekis games, um, which was America versus Morelia. Tell me about it. How did you feel? What did it feel stepping you know, just being outside the stadium, taking it all in, going into the stadium, getting that awesome view. I mean, a total fan experience you got. I'm just excited to hear about it and for you to tell everybody else how how your experience went. It was pretty surreal, to be honest. It was, I mean, the week before I'd been to the Adios al Azul game at, at uh, Stadio Azul. So that obviously gave me a flavor of what the atmosphere would be like, uh, certainly with obviously the bandar and all the stalls outside and the vendors in the stadium selling you this and that. Uh, so I had an idea from that. And obviously, I mean, that was an amazing, an experience enough in itself. And then being a, a Liga Mekis game specifically itself, it was just, it was a whole other thing. And um, I tweeted about it. I, I said I wasn't prepared for hearing the the anthem for the first time i mean it sounds ridiculous because like we're not talking about the champions league anthem we're talking about the liga mekis anthem but you know <laughs> it's something that i just heard on tv or on, well through my laptop so many times um whether it's the ad break for univision or whether it's the teams walking out onto the onto the field for the first time like just just going like I'm actually here and like I, I know this, I recognize this, this is, this is a really significant thing, this has so much meaning for me, but to actually be there, it, you know, it was, it was quite emotional really. Like, it was unreal. It was unreal and, and also the Azteca, you know, I mean, uh, even before I was a fan of Liga Mekis and followed Mexican football and everything, the Azteca was always up there as one of the stadiums, if not the stadium that I wanted to visit in my life. So amazing to have my first Liga Mekis game there yeah it was as close to perfect as you're gonna get really you know and it's you know what you mentioned like the whole transition like you've seen this on TV you watch all the games Liga Mekis on your laptop um, you know you would catch these games at insane hours but you know just you were actually living through it so I mean that's just crazy <laughs> It was, yeah. I mean, I think surreal is is the best way to describe it. Um, something that I always knew would happen at some point in my life, and then you know, it's been a lot of build up. So for it to happen was was crazy. And then, I mean, I had uh, an insane amount of of interaction, which was amazing. You know, um, everyone, people on Twitter went went pretty mad, which uh, was a great feeling, and just added to the whole the whole excitement, really. Dang, I'm so jealous. I wish I could have 
a gone to, you know, Azteca, because even like you mentioned, like in Azteca, I mean, everybody pretty iconic stadium, you know, it's very important. So for that to be your first, you know, stadium to visit, I mean, it's insane. But talk to me about the America Morelia game. Being from the stands, how did you watch that game? How did you live that game? What did you see? What did you enjoy? So I had really good view for that game. Um, I, if, I don't know if anyone's seen the picture I, or a couple of the pictures I posted, um, but I was right behind the goal, uh, quite high up. So I had a really good view above of, you know, you could see the players from above. So tactically, it was fantastic to see the movements of the players, the shapes. Uh, so that, that was fantastic. And um, where I was, there weren't too many fans, actually. And then, I mean, there was like as many people trying to sell stuff as there were fans, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but then midway through the first half, it poured down, absolutely poured down. I saw. So I wasn't covered where I was. So at first I like put my jacket on and sort of hid under. And then like everyone got up and, and left and went somewhere else. I don't know. But I just got up and stood um, like at the entrance to the stand so undercover but you could see you could still i could still see the pitch uh but i was just standing and then by the second half it stopped so i went back down and, and sat down but there was barely anyone there by then because they'd all moved so in terms of atmosphere being amongst the fans for the game it wasn't um it wasn't great like there weren't many fans <laughs> around uh but from a tactical perspective it was it was fantastic Especially because the day that the game landed was uh, September 15th, Independence Day Eve. So uh, at the time that it was, um, also that was going on and the Canelo fight. So definitely a lot of factors, you know, yeah. factored into that. The absence of a lot of people. I think it was like, what, 20 mil probably people I think I saw. Um, yeah. Didn't fill up. You have yet to go to a stadium where it's completely packed. I am. Um, and you know live it to the best but i'm so happy you got to live your first uh, liga mekis games so very cool very awesome yeah <laughs> and you also got to see uh jorge sanchez with a, that really really great goal yeah i, mean, I had the perfect view for that because like i said i was i was behind the goal and that was in the far goal when i saw so uh the way the ball swerved when he hit it i, I had the perfect view watching it swerving away um from sebastian sosa and, and flying into the into the net uh, it was yeah special goal really good goal and really important goal i think in the game the context of the game for america because morelia were sitting back playing you know they weren't creating anything going forward but they were really frustrating america america couldn't break through uh, every time america were able to put any sort of ball in the box Achillier, who i tell you what seeing him live has given me an extra appreciation of, of Gabriel Chilier, how good he is defensively. He is an, he's just so strong, so physical. Like every, every time, like I said, every time a ball went into the box, whether it was in the air, whether it was on the ground, he just covered it. He was in the right place and 1v1, he just, every time, uh, you know, Peralta, Martin, whoever it was, they just got pushed off the ball every time. So, um, that was something I didn't expect. I re really enjoyed watching him play. Um, I thought he was fantastic. So the Sanchez goal, special moment. Um, 
really I think was massive in the context of the game because I don't think America I'm not sure America would have broken them down I think they needed that magic moment something really really special because Morelia looked like they would be really tough to, to beat Definitely. I think um, for that youngster, especially, you know, giving him the start of the season and a couple of games here and there, developing that goal is really important for America. Um, they did win, so what counts. Um, but let's move on to the next game you attended because you went Liga Mekis Madness back to back, America versus Morelia. And then the next day, where did you go? Pumas. Pumas versus Lobos. <laughs> Pumas versus Lobos. Yeah. Talk to me about the the di- like how different was it? Like the different atmosphere from an Azteca to you know going to Seoul with the Pumas. Very different. Uh, it was almost the opposite. Like I said, America. I didn't have many fans around me, but I had the perfect view to analyze the game. Pumas view was awful. <laughs> like. <laughs> You know, there's a running track around the stadium. I was in the lower part, so I'm always, I'm almost on pitch level. Like you could, you can can't tell what's going around. on, but you can't, you can't, you can't analyze the game too well. Uh, but I was amongst the fans. You know, there um, in the the whole stadium wasn't packed, but in the area I was, it was packed, and the atmosphere was fantastic. It was really, really great, and. Um, you know, after the game as well, I enjoyed, I, I hung out around the, the stadium for like an hour afterwards and, uh, you know, music being played, um, all the people dancing around, uh, the, the Goya chant every like five minutes. You know, it was, <laughs> it was really cool. And um, again, I had another like crazy moment when, uh, when I was listening to, the the band are playing the like the songs that I know because I've watched I mean Pumas at home home game twelve o'clock Sunday here six o'clock for me back in the UK I'd watched loads of them because it was at a good time mm-hmm. for me and so it was just like the soundtrack of my Sunday evening that because it was always like a slow paced game you know those midday games always. and you've just got that like repetitive drums and trumpet going on in the background and. <laughs> Like I'm just sitting there, like watching the game, sort of nodding along, you know, maybe tapping my foot a little bit, and then to be like, oh my god, this is this is this actually is happening it. here. Again, surreal, surreal, very surreal. Yeah. And you also got to see a lot of goals. Scoreboard was four-two. You got to see six goals. I mean, even the fact that Alustiza got a goal in. I mean, how was that? How was the raining of goals there? Like. <laughs> it was it was it was quite crazy because most of them were pretty bad defensive mistakes. A couple of the goals Puma scored were um, like balls into the box that Lobos didn't deal with. Like Tony Rodriguez ended up on the ground, you know, um, something that I think has been a consistent problem for him throughout his career, which is stumbling along. You know, he hasn't made it at Chivas. Now he's now he's out of Lobos. Who knows? I mean, he's he's could be in the Ascenso uh, next season. Pretty much. Uh, he just really, str- he, he makes errors and he really struggles with balls into the box. But yeah, it was it was fun. You know, a lot of a lot of goals for the fans to cheer and um, Lobos kept it interesting by by equalizing and then making it 3-2. And it was very, very cool to see Alif Disa score throughout the, my time watching Liga Mekis during his spell at Puebla, then at Atlas. Uh, now at Pumas, he's been 
you know, I'm, I'm sure if you looked at top scorers in the last five years that I've been watching the league, he'll be right up there near the top. So for me, he's he's a legend of the league, and like I really like the guy. I love the passion he brings into the game. You know, you can he really connects with the fans. He really cares. So, and he's a great goal scorer. So yeah, what's not to like? That's awesome. So one, two, three stadiums down so far. Three stadiums down. I've 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 done Mexico and New City. Yeah, gonna have to branch out already. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can get all of them done. <laughs> you have so much more to experience in um, the Liga MX. Yeah. So, okay, two games. Let's talk about Cruz Azul and Necaxa because mm. Cruz Azul took their first loss this season versus Necaxa, a team that I think you and me had said be uh, beginning of the season that it would be a very exciting team to watch just because. Uh, Leaño, technical Leaño. He's very what the youngest probably out of all yeah, the coaches. Yeah, thirty-one years old. Yeah. Yeah. So you know we kind of they haven't been doing as well as we have hoped, but they did beat Cruz Azul, so that's definitely something important. What do you think about that game? Well, I mean, so I think a couple of things. I mean, first of all, I think Necaxa have played pretty well this season, but. I always thought they'd struggle defensively because they had, in the summer, they lost Barovero, one of the best keepers mm -hmm. in the league. They lost Lichnowski, one of the best centre-backs in the league. And Mario De Luna, who was always consistent for them, always performed pretty well. So rebuilding the defence was a big, big job for Leaño. And it's been a struggle. You know, they, um, they have conceded 13 goals this season, which is one of the highest. And that's after they kept a clean sheet this week. Uh, but what was interesting, actually, is, is a young Mexican, Donaldo Hernandez, um, played 90 minutes for them uh, at centre-back and had a very good game. Made five interceptions in total in the match. So uh, he's someone who, um, I believe he was at Chiapas as a youngster and uh, has now come, got a couple of games with them, has now come back into Liga Mekis with Macaxa. So perhaps someone to, to look for and... Um, Interesting name, not Ronaldo, but Donaldo. So Donaldo. Don't get too excited, Gary. <laughs> I'll try not to. How old is uh, Ronaldo, anyways? I think he is twenty. Uh, yeah, he's twenty years old. Twenty years old. Yeah. So Donaldo. Donaldo. Um, he's played in Copa Mekis. That was his first Liga Mekis game for Necaxa. Had a great game, and. Um, the other thing I'd say is that I think it's a little bit of a regression to the mean, which regression to the mean is, is a concept in, in statistics that like for a certain amount of time, um, things can outperform what they're expected to do. So Cruz Azul, for example, have the, uh, the best ratio of shots to goal this season, uh, or they did before this week. Before. Mm -hmm. And... Um, they were overperforming what they should have done. There's also been some stuff about expected goals. Uh, Tom Marshall did something about expected goals, which said that they were massively overperforming that. And then this weekend, they go and, and don't find the back of the net from 12 shots on, on goal. I think there's a little bit of them regressing to the average, the mean. Uh, finally, Nakexa played very interesting system. So... They've struggled a little bit this season finding the best way to fit in 
their midfielders. They've got a lot of technical attacking midfielders. Matias Fernandez, Victor Davila, who's been absolutely phenomenal, and Dita Villapando. The, th the three of them, they've got to play centrally. Uh, and they need cover as well. So you've got to have a defensive midfielder in there. Fernando Gonzalez plays that role. He does that very well. Another guy is underrated. An interesting Mexican to watch. I think he's 24 years old. Uh, but then you've got these three central players. And, and how do you fit them in whilst wanting to have you know, an attacking threat and some width as well? And what Leaniel did uh, against Cruz Azul is he put... Um, Daniel Alvarez started as a right winger and he put Brian Fernandez, who was signed as a striker as uh, I assume um, came in as a replacement for Carlos Gonzalez who went to Pumas in the summer uh, and he, mo he moved him out to the left wing and he used Davila in a free false nine kind of messy during Pep Guardiola's Barcelona style um, mm -hmm. position and I mean Davila was phenomenal he won the penalty he scored the penalty that secured the game uh, he completed three of four dribbles on the day. He was a threat to Cruz Azul all, all, all game long. And, you know, it, it also got the best out of Matias and Dita, I felt. Matias had to go off, but he scored that superb under-the-wall free kick. And uh, Dita Villapando, again, I will talk about him all the, all the, all the time. All the time. All the time. He lost the ball three times in 90 minutes. I mean, three, a midfield player lost the ball three times in 90 minutes, whilst also creating two chances. If he had been in that Mexico squad, we would have seen a different game. I don't know if he played against Uruguay or the USA, but if he had played in the midfield against, I mean, remember against USA? Who, who ended up as a, in the midfield? Like, we ended up with Guzman having to play deep. Edson played there for a bit. Aguirre came in, like the end of the game, Eric Aguirre, who's been a winger, was playing at centre mid. Why VL Pando couldn't get a place in that squad? I don't get it. I don't understand why. He, he, he fully deserves it. So I think there would have been a different game against the US. Interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think there's still, like, you know, some youngsters that are still, you know, getting, getting playing time, getting their experience, and they're still kind of under the radar, and it takes, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what it takes, you know, for them to... But obviously he's, he's not a youngster, um, he's 27. Uh, do you think... But, but you told me about Elias, come on, Gary, Elias, he's like 31, blah, yeah. blah, I'm like, okay, we'll give him his chance, so why can't they give, you know, Villalpando the same opportunity, at least to, mm. you know, get an illusion, get well, some playing time. Well, I was going to ask, do you, do you think his age, even though if we're thinking just like we've said before thinking just four year plan he's 31 in Qatar good age but do you think the age of 27 counts actually against him in comparison to if you were to look at guys that are 20 19 21 22 do you think that counts against him it, it can and it can't and I'm just saying this because um if I'm thinking about Claudio Gonzalez Leon's striker mm -hmm. I mean he he now barely you know got his debut at age 26 with you know la primera de leon so you know i guess when you put in that perspective like okay and qatar is going to be 31 you know does his age at this point influence him you know good or bad if there's other maybe youngsters that you know could be better you know or have that opportunity at a better age to go to qatar yeah i don't know i guess it just depends you know mm. so and I, and I think that's just the, you know, the reference that I have with uh, Claudio Gonzalez. He's his debut as 26 years old, you know, possible next striker for Leon after Maribel Celi two, three years out. I mean, 
maybe for like you know but you know it's a good point but i mean maybe it takes a coach to actually see what Vialpando could do and bring to the midfield and actually give him the opportunity at least maybe like a year or two i mean do i actually if you're asking me do i actually see him in qatar no i don't no i mean i, I don't think he'll ever play for mexico but i think he'll he'll be one of the best players to never play for mexico Interesting. I'm going to quote that. <laughs> there you go. Um, okay, so let's talk about... We have to talk about this, and that's just because it's a it's a fact. Santos beating Leon 3-0. Mm-hmm. And we both watched this game. And, you know, just the beginning of the game, the kids were so... The, the kids were just clashing, and it was just something that... You know, I think I told you, hashtag see the Deluga. Like, really, we're really going to have these two, you know, teams with almost the same, you know, colors and kits. And anyways, so the game started off really, you know, iffy like that. But, I mean, all in all, I mean, it was just a really frustrating dole game because, um, you know, I'm just going to say what you said because I'm going to go straight to you. But um, they both kind of play the same. So, you know, what can you get out of it? What, you know, what needed, what needed to happen for um, either one of them to outshine? But in the end, Santos did. And we've had this conversation about this game, so. <laughs> so yeah. you want me to repeat the conversation so that other people can hear? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, basically, Leon's problem is, you know, they make really foolish, you know, defensive mistakes. Yeah. You know, like you said, you don't trust Mosquera. To me, Mosquera, it's almost like a hit or miss. Um, I think he's one of the few players that have started every single, you know, Liga Mekis game. And I like him, but yeah, you know, I do admit sometimes he makes some foolish mistakes. And Mejia, like me and you have talked, he's such a hothead. Um, sometimes making unnecessary fouls that, you know, could have been not made that way. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, I think Leon had like what twelve shots, and none of them were on target. Correct, correct. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> I I think yeah, you you summed it up well. It was a game that started as a bit of a farce with the kits, and and what a nightmare for Santos celebrating their thirty-five year anniversary. They have this special kit. And they're forced to change out of it after 25 minutes. I mean, like, yeah. I, it was classic to watch that. When you hey, s- they're changing their kids and their shorts too. Oh, that was second half. They that was second half, shorts. yeah. Second half, but yeah. just the jersey, they changed it out, swapped it out, 26 minute first half, um, which helped us. But even then, the game was just very dull. It was just, you know, I'm not used to those kind of games, but... Um, yeah, it, so, w- it was two similar teams cancelling each other out in, in terms of their style. <laughs> they definitely did. I mean, possession shots, it's, it's all equal. Um, and, yeah, it wasn't very exciting because I often think that when you get two teams that try and play the same way, often it can be a bit boring because they just completely even each other out. And yeah. Santos won 3-0 because Leon made three defensive mistakes and Santos punished them. And um, coming back to Mosquero, it's interesting. I said you, you quite like him, but he's hit or miss. 
And for me, hit or miss is not what you want from a centre-back. We just got to work with what we have at this point. <laughs> but, but that miss, you know, like, yeah. I mean, the, the defending I mean, is the basic, basic, like he's made worse errors than this. More obvious ones, but this was so basic. Furch gets the ball in the box and you let him, top scorer in the league, turn to get a shot. Like, unacceptable, completely unacceptable. I mean, I think <laughs> I've been on, a, on and on about Mejia to you. Like, too hot-headed for Liga Mekis, too many cards are given out. And I just think it's ridiculous that, um, that he was, <laughs> like what he did against Cruz Azul, you know. That it's just you, you're playing against ten men, and he he kicks someone for no reason and gets sent off. That was just ridiculous. unnecessary. It was unnecessary. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was just that game was just not good. I was I was pretty stoked for um, my twenty year old youngster Mascoro finally getting a start um, mm. because I've seen him in. Go by Mankeys and sub in here and there, and I really like him, um, what, what he brings on the wing. Um, but he did start this game, I think, I don't know, it was just not a good game for him. Um, none of his centers were like really, you know, giving, they weren't they weren't feeding Bocelli, that's what I'm talking about. They weren't feeding Bocelli. And Yair on the left kept making a lot of mistakes. He wasn't feeding Bocelli, so it was kind of like both wings were just not being productive. Um, in which I was like, okay, bring in Serato, and Serato did sub in, but I mean, just it was just not working. Um, yeah, what, what's interesting looking at um, Yaido and Mascoro, uh, what you say about the fact that they weren't finding Boselli, that, that absolutely um, that hits the nail on the head because they, between the two of them over the whole match, they only missed one pass between the two of them. They only missed one pass but they only made one of 10 cross attempts. So, you know, they were keeping the ball because Santos Leon played quite similar. Santos would, would happily defend quite deep. They'll let you pass a little bit, but they will make it very, very difficult to, for you to get on the end of any crosses because they've got two big physical defenders in Doria and Hugo Nervo, uh, who are pretty much doing the exact same thing that Izquierdos and uh, and Nestor did for so many years. So, absolutely right. You know, Yaido and Mascoro, they didn't feed Boselli, and I think this is a, an ongoing problem that, for me, Gustavo Diaz isn't to blame for. You know, I, uh, Elias was arguably the best crosser in Liga Mekis, and the partnership he had with Boselli was so, so important, and they've brought in wingers that are nowhere near the same standard of, of delivery now maybe there was no one else out there that they could get but they can't carry on if you haven't got the same quality of Elias you can't carry on basing your tactic around get crosses into Boselli because if you haven't got the good service he can't he can't do anything you know definitely and I think that game um we really, really miss Pedro Aquino. He was—he's always being so consistent in the midfield, holding the midfield. Just we didn't see that. If it's Pedro Aquino's not there, it's just a disaster. Mm. And, um, and he was—he was the one good signing this summer. Yeah, he definitely was. I really have enjoyed him, and you know, definitely Leon missed a lot from him. Um, so I, I want to ask you, obviously. Now, Diaz has been sacked. 
Um, and Nacho Ambris has come in as a replacement. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? So I'm going to go back to the beginning of the season because I really thought that Leon was not going to keep Diaz for another season. It was just all of us were like, no, we don't want him. Then they were like, no, we're going to go along with him. And I was on the edge about it. Of course, I got optimistic with the signings. But, I mean, it's it, this is Liga Mekis. I mean, Leon has been really consistent, but they had really good – they had really two – good back-to-back games america and toluca and i had hope i was like okay this is working let's go on and then this happens and i'm not surprised um so yeah diaz bye-bye diaz and the question my question was like okay is almeida coming because there was obviously all these rumors about almeida having contact with leon and with pachuca and how Matias Almeida could be an option for either team. This was, I'm talking to you, maybe week three, week four, when, you know, Leon and Pachuca were doing horribly. They were like the last two on the table. And one of the factors was that Matias Almeida would not pick up a team midseason or he would want to, you know, start off from the start, which is understandable. Another factor, obviously, Matias Almeida wants to go international, you know, with an international team. Fair enough. Another thing I also heard was that Matias Almeida would accept, but it would it was either it's either him and his whole team mm. or no or no one. So to me, if it was to that, I would tell Leon, you're going to be investing in a great coach with you know like it's we need to take it serious. But you know what? I think you and me had discussed, well, it's either going to be a recycled coach or just another Uruguayan naive coach that has coached somewhere else and we're bringing him to Mexico. And it's not Chambris. And everybody's, I don't know how to feel about it. Um, I don't think he'll last. I mean, Leon has gone through so many coaches that I'm not even surprised if he is out by the end of the season. But. I don't know. I don't know how to feel. I'm very like <laughs> my face reads it. I'm just yeah, but people can't see that. <laughs> <laughs> when you read my face, I don't. I don't know. I guess I have to see. I have to see what what he you know how he plays his team. What's his concept? We're working with the players that Leon has. Like, I guess until I see it, then I'll I can make a clear judgment about it. I've got one thing um, of hope, I guess, in his defence as, as an appointment. Leon, for years, have struggled defensively. For a long time, Leon have been one of the teams that conceded the most goals in the league. And it's no different this season. Only, only uh, Morelia currently have more goals conceded this season. And um, Nacho Ambris has a reputation as a defensive manager. You, mean, you, mem- you remember his time with America. He pretty much got sacked because he was playing too boring football. Too. When he was at Nacaxa last season, they were solid, they were tough to beat, but they'd average, like, score one goal a game, concede just over one goal a game. You know, they weren't very exciting, but they were good defensively. And Leon, for a long time, have needed a def- an improvement defensively. So getting a coach 
that is defensively minded, that has proven himself to be effective at stopping other teams from scoring, I think is perhaps a sensible decision. I, I, I agree with you that it's not a long-term thing, but hey, when is, when is anything a long-term thing in Liga Mekis? I yeah, Duka. I th- I think Duka's a long term. Tuka's <laughs> a long term thing, yeah. Uh, but I do think that in the short term, he could have a bit of a positive impact just by improving the number of goals conceded. Um, it's good that you mentioned because Gustavo Diaz in thirty-eight games conceded sixty goals. It's quite a tally. <laughs> Quite a talent. So, I mean, we scored 54, but nothing compared to the 60 we received. So, I'm hoping for the best. Um, if he gets us to La Liguilla, okay, cool. If we make it to semifinals, okay, cool. But I'm really looking for that long-term process because I think all Leon fans are just tired and we really want someone concrete. If, if, if you can give me Gustavo Matosas back, I'll take him back in a heartbeat. I really would. But that's not possible, so. Um, okay. So we're running out of time, but let's just squeeze in um, PSV versus Barcelona. The beautiful game, Champions League, has returned, and we're all very excited because Chucky and Guti are in Champions League first game, and it did not go as planned. Scoreboard was 4-0. Chucky did start. Guti was on bench, but Guti came in, um, I think that was like, the last seven minutes, I think. Something like uh, that, yeah. So, yeah, and yeah, I mean, it was pretty sad. I was really upset. I'm a Madridista. I, I, it was a dream if PSV could just beat Barcelona. Not even beat, even Chucky scoring a really amazing goal would have been awesome. But um, yeah. Debut in Champions League did not go as planned. What are your takeaways? Wow. I mean, <laughs> the goals Barcelona scored were just on another planet. Uh, and PSV started the game pretty well. Uh, they they had a few counter-attacks in the first 20 minutes or so. Uh, and they, they did have the odd chance throughout the game. I mean, they managed 14 shots in total, which is, is not bad. But the goals Barcelona scored were just world-class. I mean, they were all world-class. From Messi's free kick to, to that volley he scored to the, the Dembele goal. I mean, you, that's the... And that's not always going to be the standard. It's easy to say that's the standard, but obviously Messi, Dembele, even they aren't going to score goals that good every single game, but it's going to happen. Sometimes you meet them on a day when they produce their world-class best and um, a great experience for Chucky. Um, I thought what, what was interesting was he had when he had his first chance uh, midway through the first half, he, he showed incredible pace to beat Jordi Alba to the ball and then had a slight look at goal and was very far out, off balance, ball was not, not ready to be hit and he went for the shot and I thought that was his overexcitement. That was his, oh my God, I've, I can see the goal at Camp Nou. Um, so I think to have that experience, to, you know, he didn't play badly overall. It wasn't an amazing game, but it was very difficult for him. Uh, he, he did actually set up three chances in total and he got a few shots. 
Uh, obviously, there was that big chance where PK um, came in and made a sensational block. But great experience for him, and um, hopefully he's he's going home thinking, you know what, one day, Champions League, I'm going to score a goal like like Messi or like Dembele. You know, that's that's the inspiration, and all you can can take for those experiences is, hey, those guys are better than me right now, so I've got to work harder because I want to be that good. Hopefully, that's what he's doing right now. I think just Chucky proves that he's just, I mean, he was probably the best player on PSV on the field. Um, you know, the way he just, he just produces so much. He's just that player to this marca that, you know, is just amazing. Um, but I mean, there's always second leg, so Chucky could still score a second leg, especially at home. Uh, at home, it'll be, it'll be an easier uh, should be an easier game for them, but it's a really tough group. I mean, with Inter and Tottenham as well, there's there's no easy game in there whatsoever. So it's a challenge. Uh, I don't expect them to to get anywhere near going through, if I'm honest. But um, I don't ex I expect them to come bottom of the group. They're, they're on paper they're the fourth weakest team in the group. But who knows? You know. Interesting. I said that I. I think I said Inter was my team that was like not gonna, not really a challenge, um, and I'm still sticking with it. Anything can happen in Champions League. That's the beauty of it. You can't underestimate any team, Tom. You really can't. Okay, well, let's let's wrap it up. Anything you want to add to the Liga Mekis Jornada Week Nine and the Chucky Lozano and Guti debut? No, I mean all, all I can say is. Um looking forward to to next week obviously um we've got the classico up in monterey uh on yes, sunday night yeah and uh, as you said to me before it's it's a two the two teams that were so strong on paper have been indifferent this season they haven't been at their best um so that'll be an interesting game um plus you know all the other stuff going on so uh it should be a fun weekend <laughs> um going back to classico regio yes um classico regio tigres is in six monterrey is in seventh two point difference 16 points 14 points um these two teams come into this game like you said very indifferent i mean if we look at the past seven matches um, not in order, but they both have three loss, three wins, and two draws. So very interesting how this um, Clásico Regimentano plays out because it's always a big um, rivalry, of course. Well, guys, that is it from us. Thank you for listening to another football podcast on episode one. If you guys don't follow Tom already, you can definitely follow him at TomH underscore 36. And if you don't follow Caddy, you can find her at CaddyTorres underscore seven. Well, guys, that is it. Thank you for listening to another football podcast. If you guys don't follow Tom already, you can definitely follow him at TomH underscore 36 for more of his Liga Mekis experience in Mexico. And if you don't follow Caddy already, you can find her at CaddyTorres underscore seven. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time.